Hello and welcome to the PropTech Hot Seat on iProperty Radio with myself, Carol Tallon, the show where we explore trends and technologies driving innovation across the built environment. This show is brought to you in partnership with PropTech Ireland, the hub for innovators, investors and for industry leaders. In the PropTech Hot Seat today is Killian Casey, VP of CIM. Killian, you're very welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, thanks, Carol. Thanks for having me. Uh, great to be on. I'm I'm delighted. I, I think most people across real estate will be familiar with the CIM offering, but for anybody who isn't, you might just talk about the core offering. Yeah, sure. So I guess uh, essentially CIM exists to be kind of a world leader in the, the building analytics software space. Um, CIM software is called Peak Platform, and it really what it does is it empowers kind of operational teams to, to work smarter and, and more collaboratively, collaboratively to kind of maximize operational and also energy efficiency across um, building portfolios. Uh, as a company, it was founded in 2014 in Australia uh, by an Irish guy called Dave Walsh. Um, we expanded up to Europe in 2019, not too long before COVID. So that was an interesting challenge. And in the last 12 months as well, we've been pushing into the US and kind of expanded there as well in the US. Um, our head office is in Sydney. We've probably got around 65 employees globally, of which uh, we've got about 15 here in in, in, in in Ireland, kind of serving Europe. Um, and then we've got a couple in, in the US and, and, and we've got obviously the, the, the rest kind of sitting between Australia and, and New Zealand. Um, I guess in terms of how CIM works or how Peak works, so Peak works by kind of automating kind of critical operational activities um, and helping with the completion of key tasks that are accelerated by kind of le leveraging digital workflows and digital reporting across kind of the entire uh, supply chain. Um, and Peak has a, a vast library of fault detection and diagnostic algorithms that essentially continuously monitor all your building equipment to, to immediately uh, identify uh, any failures or any tuning and optimization opportunities and also provide kind of a clear path or a clear guidance as to what you need to do to, to rectify it. Um, that's a, a very long answer. No, no, not at all. No, it's good for us to understand. And I suppose one of the things that I tried to do, um, because, you know, a couple of years ago, we, you know, we might be talking about the different um, data sources that would be within a building. And, and one of the things that really emerged was that our uh, building management systems were, even in new buildings, new buildings were implementing quite dated building management systems. So how does that work for you, say, in a building where you're coming in, you know, because there's such a different level of um, technology employed, the age of the technology, um, you know, trying to integrate your system there. And obviously, most places would have a number of different types of technology. So maybe, first of all, are you operating um, in for new buildings, uh, retrofits or just going into existing buildings? Is there any limitations? No, there's no real limitations. From our end, we work across all from brand new buildings that have maybe just got the project completion and you might be in there for the, the, the I suppose, the defects period where you're trying to ensure that any issues with the operations of the plant and equipment is picked up during that time so that when it does get the final completion, the operations team are taking ownership of a a fully functional operational building without all those headaches and teething issues that you may typically get from a new project that has maybe been rushed to get that PC date. Um, and then we're also then in the buildings that are, you know, 10 to 15 years old that have kind of relatively modern BMS systems where you touched on a moment ago, oftentimes there are 
I suppose the, the BMS system, it's been well documented and I'm sure many people on your podcast have spoke about it where it hasn't really evolved in quite a long time from pneumatics to DDC and then it pretty much stopped. Um, but they had, they like buildings still are generating a lot of data all the time, but people just didn't know how to use it. It was kind of locked away in the black boxes, right? The more modern buildings, say 10, 15 years, it's quite easy to get in or to integrate with those once you've got the right tools to pull that data out. Um, and where we play there is obviously normal, like, you know, extracting that data, normalizing that data, and then overlaying, overlaying kind of the smart algorithms to, to pinpoint where the efficiencies can be uh, derived from the existing data that's within those buildings. Um, and, and that's really kind of changing how people operate buildings at that level, where you're kind of moving more from a, trying to manage what's in a BMS alarm console, which is never configured correctly, to more giving you insights in terms of this is where these opportunities are in your facility from a, a comfort perspective, where you may have potential temperature issues with your tenants that you want to stay ahead of, or a maintenance issue where you're talking about pieces of equipment that is, you know, for example, chillers might be short cycling coming on and off quite a bit. You wouldn't necessarily notice that looking at a BMS or looking at the zone conditions, but you'll notice it when your chiller stops working after you know, seven, eight years and your maintenance bills go through the roof. So getting ahead of those and and, and, and triggering um, um, alerts or workflows to ensure that people have that data at, at their fingertips. Um, and, and then obviously the energy side of things where you're talking about, okay, even lead platinum buildings or whatever it may be that people have, they assume that they've got a well-run building just because they might have the best of equipment in there. But nine times out of 10 or 95 times out of 100, um, they're not operating optimally. Um, and, and people just assume because the kilowatt hour per square meter is lower than another building um, that it's running well. But obviously there's a lot more you can do if you get those facilities running running correctly uh, and efficiently. Um, and, and then I suppose the third point is the older, older buildings, there's, there's still a lot to be done from buildings that have BMSs that are 15 to 20 to 25 years old. The, the biggest challenge there would be maybe the integration side of things where you've got even more proprietary uh, pieces of equipment. But, you you know, there's various ways of getting data from those facilities, from uh, installing devices that can, you know, speak different proprietary protocols or even like going, plugging and pulling directly from the database and the likes and getting that data up and pushing it into the cloud and normalizing it and, and, and kind of giving that value from there as well. Um, it's interesting to get the perspectives, I suppose, maybe the different approaches needed given the age um, the age of the building. But I'm particularly interested when you talk about new builds and maybe coming in at defect stage. And, and tell me, how early into a project for a new build would you be consulted? Because I suppose I, I'm always curious about the digital infrastructure. Um, and I, I would hold the belief that it should be, that should be part of the planning process that actually the digital infrastructure is not something that gets layered on top, which we know has happened in the past, but it's a much more expensive way to do it. And a, a, um, it's the least effective way, not to even to look, look at uh, cost efficiencies, but even in terms of uh, delivering a good outcome, it's much better if this can be done at, planning stage um, and project planning stage, but it still so rarely is. So when are you typically brought into projects for new builds? From the new build perspective, we would be kind of brought in depending on if we've got existing customers, for example, that we've got a good relationship and we're on their portfolios, they would come to us and say, okay, this is the um, this is the, the design that we're looking with with our particular facility. Does this make sense from your end based on what you need to do with the data and how you add value to the data after that? And we would then do a review of the design and just say, look, this looks like it's uh, maybe 
the vendor or the solution that's been in, in, um, proposed a, is not the most open from a data perspective. They may not be using industry standard protocols, which is becoming less top, less typical. But still, you'd be surprised some of the bigger vendors still try to, you know, put their own proprietary protocols with a, a backnet stamp or a, a long stamp on it, but uh, a, a kind of. Um, and still proprietary uh, in reality. Um, so we would make recommendations and make comments on on what's been proposed uh, from a, an installation perspective. Uh, and then really we would then only get involved at the project completion stage where we would then bring our software in because obviously our software is there to, to help find where the opportunities are, but you can't bring that in before people have actually finished doing their install. So you need to give them time to come in get all their data uh, configured, get all the control algorithms set up, and then we'll come in afterwards and help them through that period to ensure that anything that may be rushed or, or, or not finished uh, adequately during that period is triggered uh, from a software perspective after that. Um, I think you've touched on a problem that is really only a known problem in the last number of years, and that is buildings are you know, even even not very modern buildings, um, you know, even those kind of 15, 20 years, they are generating data. So they are data rich, but maybe the portfolio managers are maybe insight poor. And that's a real problem. Um, so how do you how does the technology help to translate that and turn that around? You know, previously, we would have had to make the business case um, for uh, you know, unlocking insights from this data, whereas now we can see, you know, it's very much driven by regulation, by funding requirements, by new ESG reporting. Um, you know, so so how how does the technology help the portfolio owners here and managers? Yeah, I guess from our end, uh, our technology, there's no uh, kind of capital outlay required so there's no upfront cost we don't install any additional hardware we don't install devices I, I think historically and even now there are companies that will come in and install loads of submetering and pull that data out or install loads of additional sensors and do that what what where we focus on is is using as you touched on what's existing in the facility where there are typically you know, hundreds of thousands of data points every day kind of streaming around in the building, but no one is actually getting any value out of that. So how we firstly get that data is we've got a data acquisition device that can go in, sit on a building network, talk all those various protocols and languages and pull them up and send it up into the cloud. Um, and then from a use case, you're exactly right. You've got the the typical stuff where you're looking at just reducing energy, which can go towards reporting and net zero, uh, net zero targets, to the, the, to the people and the comfort and the maintenance and all that. But more recently, we're, we're having customers that are talking to us around green leasing or green uh, financing and the likes as well, where they're signing into uh, large um, um, financial loans uh, from a green perspective, and they then need to commit to improving their sustainable performance of their facilities and the interest rates then are kind of linked to that. So what our software can help them in that instance is kind of create that hopper of opportunities to reduce the energy consumption and show them what they need to do to help drive that drop in energy consumption or carbon emissions, but also help them report on that by pulling you know, the data from, you mentioned different kind of systems. So you might have obviously in the HVAC world or the BMS world, 
30, 40, 50, 60% of your energy consumption going there. But we'll also dial integrate with like an EMS system if that's on site or pull data directly from the utility provider, which you're also getting your energy bills on so that you can then correlate, you know, your ups and downs on your energy bill on the software and have that dashboarded versus the actions and the work that's happening on site to improve it and bringing that all together from a reporting perspective and then pushing that up the lines, which can then feed into the, you know, either your Gresby reporting or, you know, your financial reporting or whatever you need to do as well. So it's kind of mixing the different data sources with the, I suppose, mixing, mixing the old fashioned operational buildings world with the finance world, which is becoming more and more relevant and, and prevalent, prevalent, I guess. Is there a geographical difference there? You know, because what you're describing there are essentially all drivers, but maybe for slightly different reasons. And the fact that CIM had its origins, uh, albeit from an Irish base, has its origins in Australia, um, then into Europe and now into the US. Are the drivers different in those different regions? Yes, they, they are. I mean, you mentioned Australia. Now, I think Australia, it's it's well known. Is it's Australia is a world leader in the billing technology space, um, and, and and many companies come out of Australia. Um, there, it's also a world leader from a buildings perspective in the in the sustainability space, where Australian uh, REITs are always kind of number one in the Gresby kind of ratings as well. Um, and also in Australia as well, they've got neighbours, which I, I'm sure you're aware of as well, which essentially means that any commercial office in Australia needs to publish its operational energy consumption every year and they need to get recertified every year. Um, and if a, bill, if, a, if a commercial office is over a thousand square metres, it needs to have that. And what that's done is it's then driven um, driven from a, a, a an end user perspective where initially government agencies were coming and saying, we can't lease a facility less than four stars neighbors or whatever it may be. Now it's up to five, five and a half, I think it is. But then obviously tenants are coming in the larger company saying we want a high neighbors rating or we want a minimum of X, Y, and Z. So my tongue went up. Um, and, 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 and now it's become, it's, it's, I think over Australia in 15 years, it went from like, you know, say two stars up to an average of five stars across the board in, 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 in different real estate investment trusts. And it's, it's been driven, you know, off. The demand from the the, the 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 tenants, but then also there's kind of a evaluation on the property because if your if your if your if your uh, neighbors' ratings are low, you can't get the tenants in. Obviously, commercial offices driven on full buildings on long leases, the valuation like so goes up that way. Um, in the UK, when we moved up here, we found that there was no real driver like that. There, there was no in operation energy or optim- operational or uh, energy or kind of um, optimization targets put in place so there was no real demand from the um from the market to reduce energy aside from the likes of your epc ratings and your MIS, which aren't in operation they're more based on the design so then the 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 use case there you know is obviously slightly different and the us was quite similar as well up until recently now where the likes of new york and some other states are putting in some pretty large carbon penalties um, if you go above a certain level, then you get, you know, pretty $250 per ton. I, I can't remember the exact numbers on it. I must, I must look that up. I had it in my head recently. Um, but essentially they're getting penalized for not performing from an energy perspective, which makes the business case for our solution more valuable again. Um, and, and, and then on top of that, the tenant side of things is, is critical as well. So we, we, we put a lot of focus on our software, giving visibility on indoor environment and ensuring that your tenants are happy so that they sign up the longer leases, et cetera, as well, you know. Um, Killian, I hope this isn't an unfair question, but um, would you have a view on, say, the different certifications that are available globally now? Because, you know, obviously we've seen over the last six or seven years this proliferation of 
um, global certifications. And I think, you know, what tends to happen in the industry is people lean towards one or the other. Uh, would you have a view of those or, you know, what's your position? I, I would. And I, I I may be kind of slanted because I, I spent eight years in Australia and I've seen the kind of evolution of neighbours um, and, and how like how like how important it is to have an in operation actual uh a, a measurement um and so for me neighbors is probably the best energy rating tool in, in 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 on the market the uk started to bring it in with neighbors uk but i think it seems to be a bit in limbo at the moment so bre were kind of the the, the body b that that were kind of uh, administering neighbors uk in the uk but they've since stepped away so that's kind of in in no man's land at the moment um, so for me, having something in operation, whatever that may be, is important. And, and then the second big challenge we have, and you kind of touched on it there, is there are a various different rating tools out there. There's no standardization. There's no standard approach. So there's no way to benchmark across, even in countries, never mind, say, across Europe or across the USA or across the world. And again, from a neighbor's perspective, it's it's standard. You can actually compare apples with apples across the board. In other regions, they talk about they might have Briam or they might have LEED or, you know, they're looking at wealth from a wellness perspective, but they're all measuring different things in different ways. So you can kind of, from a from a property perspective, pick the one that suits you the best and change you in the best light, but you're not then able to compare how your properties are performing against others from an operational perspective. So the most important thing for me is really kind of the standardization approach and then the model that they have from a neighbor's perspective, which is giving clear kind of... Um, uh, it's very transparent in terms of how facilities are operating and allow you to kind of benchmark across the board. Because again, the EPC stuff for me isn't isn't really much worth much. I, I think I've read a paper as well recently where you've have EPC, um, you know, buildings that are say B rated or A rated, and their energy consumption per uh, meter squared is 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 aligned with what's an E building because there's no correlation between what's actually installed from an equipment perspective to how well they're actually performing or how well they're using those equipment that equipment you know um do you think that's maybe feeding into some of the criticism that the real estate sector in particular has gotten in terms of greenwashing um and you know like sometimes i think the the criticism is a little bit unfair because um this is quite a new area and i think people are genuinely trying to tackle it um but you know sometimes actually I, I can see where the criticism is coming from, but I, I think in the main portfolio owners are absolutely trying to do the right thing. But you're right. This lack of standardization means that people are picking and choosing the credential they want to show. And that's not great, actually, not only from a reporting point of view, but actually for the end outcome, which is a more efficiently uh, operating building. Uh, absolutely. And we've got even customers and again, we have customers in Australia, for example, that may have then um, they have neighbors energy, which is the one that you need to publish, but they would have, there's different, different tools, rating tools that maybe you don't need to publish. And they would have went and got their certification, not scored all that well in it. So then didn't publish it and put it away. Right. So you're only going to show what's good for you or what's going to benefit you. Um, so, so from that end, um, the, the greenwashing side, that's not greenwashing, but that's an example of if, if you can just, you know, you, you can kind of test the water first. If you're going to be shown in a good light, then I'll show it. If not, I won't because I'm not enforced to kind of uh, disclose it. Um, 
the greenwashing thing, I, I, I've spoken to uh, people at certain levels in, 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 in up at this neck of the woods um, in terms of how they can hit their net zero targets. And there's still a bit of a, uh, a thought process that, oh, we'll get as far as we can with the optimization, but look, we can just procure green energy at the end of the day and we'll still hit our net zero targets. And we're really only going to focus initially on degasifying so we can bring in electrics and then try and buy green energy. But I guess there's only so much of that as well available on the market so everyone can take that approach so again most of our customers that we're working with are very much aware that the first step on their net zero journey is to cut and try and get as much as they can out of what they have um, and then maybe look at the next step of maybe on-site generation to see what they can do with solar and, and 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 wind or whatever it may be and then really the last step should be kind of under procuring green energy as opposed to the first step which a lot of people are kind of jumping onto that bandwagon I think and again there's there's a, there could be reasons why people do that sometimes organizations take a very aggressive target and, and, and a very short timeline and and the only answer to that would be maybe to procure green energy which is good um, but you're still wasting a lot of energy even if it is if it is um, from a green source yeah you know it, it's interesting um over the last decade or particularly over the last maybe six or seven years, charting a company's journey to to net zero you know um it's amazing how things have changed because six seven years ago it was absolutely acceptable to use carbon offsetting in fact that's how most people were uh setting out to achieve their targets and recently i was doing an interview within the last year and um carbon offsetting was described to me like smoking in a doorway you know it's it's antisocial that basically yes you're complying but only barely and um you're doing it in a way that is harmful to other people. And, you know, while it seemed like a bold analogy, you know, it did stick with me. And, you know, you can see that as companies are making their journey to net zero, uh, you know, maybe what was acceptable six and seven years ago isn't now, which makes me think what's acceptable today is maybe not what we want to be doing in five, six, seven years time. So I suppose when you're sitting down, when you're sitting down with, to speak to portfolio owners and managers, particularly in Ireland, you know, what's their what's their driving ambition? Like, is it to reduce their energy bills? Like, are they looking to see what the business case is? What's the actual return on investment here? Or are they looking at this from uh, reporting and compliance? Um, uh, particularly in Ireland and the UK, where the 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 buildings and the configuration of buildings is much different to Australia and even in the US. Um, I think the biggest driver here would be the reporting and the compliance perspective because oftentimes the the owners are saying, well, our tenants kind of manage all their own equipment. They pay for all their own energy. So a lot of the initiatives you have, maybe we, you know, we don't pay for that anyway. So it's not really hurting our, our bottom line. Um, I think so they were saying, but what we do have is we've got our own um, scope one and scope two targets. And then they may talk about their tenants being their scope three targets, but they're saying that they're focused on scope one and two initially. Um, the 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 other side of things, sorry, I lost my train of thought there on that. No, but, you're fine. Um, but actually, well, I think even that's that's interesting in itself. So, you know, and to be honest, I suspected as much. And that's why I, I, I wanted to know when you're sitting down with people, you know, because in a way... That's slightly tokenistic, but is it right to view that as tokenistic or is that just a natural stage? Is that just a natural part of the journey? Uh, I, I think so. I think that's exactly what it is. Um, and and, and like it, it's it's really just there needs to be a, an overarching driver that, 
you know gets people to act and and a lot of the time in our in in our industry rightly or wrongly that needs to be kind of financially driven right um but um if people yeah if yeah it 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 needs to be driven by uh, the net zero targets and that, that yeah yeah, no, but that's look, I, I, I think you've kind of hit the nail on the head. You just need to get people to act. And that's the really important point. So I suppose kind of as a as a final takeaway for today, Killian, like what is your what is your call to action for portfolio owners, particularly across Ireland and the UK? Like what's the most important message that they need to know to be able to take the next right step for them? For me, it's to understand exactly what you currently have in your portfolio how they're operating instead of trying to get to the finish line and try to solve the problem uh without actually understanding what the problem is so you know going into you might have a portfolio of 25 buildings understand how they're operating understand what you need to do in each one of those facilities to get the you know the consumption down as low as it needs to be get the carbon emissions out of that building as as, as low as it needs to be with what you already have then make make smart decisions from a capital perspective then based on understanding from a data perspective what each piece of equipment is doing on each asset um, because again you can't just go in you don't have a bottomless pit of money to go in and upgrade everything at once so then if you can do it smarter you can cut as much as you can with the older equipment and then replace stuff that you can't get uh, get the actual the, um, the, 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 the bang for the buck out of um, so really the call to action is to Get a view on what you what you already have in your in your stock, and cut as much as you can with your existing stock, and then make smarter decisions around kind of upgrading your equipment moving forward off the back of that. Um, and yeah, that's essentially. Yep, super. That's a great place to start. And look, I'd also recommend for people just to take a look at cim.io uh, for some further information, or reach out to Killian or any of the team there um, in Ireland. So that was Killian Casey, VP of CIM. Our thanks as always to producer Katie Tallon and to the audio team at Hear Me Roar Media. Before we go, just a special word of thanks to our sponsor, PropTech Ireland, for supporting the podcast and making these conversations possible. And thank you indeed for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next episode of the PropTech Hot Seat. In the meantime, please be sure to check out all of the other Irish and international real estate and construction shows on iPropertyRadio.com.